like your hat, Darren. Thanks. My mum actually knit this hat for me. Did she? Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, it's lovely. It's also quite nippy. It uh-huh. looks a bit like one of uh, your Duckworth's tea cozies. <laughs> it's nice. Oh, a Sorry, Coronation ma'am. Street I reference. It. I love it. That's our first Coronation Street reference. Well, excellent. Stay tuned. There'll be more. Yes. All right. Here we are. Episode 14. And we're talking to Paddy Fitzgerald. I guess one of the most respected, best loved musicians in the traditional Irish scene in Melbourne over the last 40 years. An incredibly influential player. Uh, along with his brother Joe, and uh, it's just a complete delight to have a chance to talk to him. Yeah, so. It's been a long time coming this conversation, so we're uh, delighted when we finally got a chance <laughs> to sit down and do it. And uh, before we get into it, I just want to uh, harp on about the thing that I normally do, and that's our Patreon page. Now, my good listeners, you did have a break last week; we didn't mention it at all. So uh, this week, I'm going to go extra extra hard on you. First of all, I do want to thank everyone that's gone over to patreon and actually put their hand in their pocket to support the podcast you're a bunch of bloody legends thank you so much for everyone else i'm guessing there's a lot of you out there and you're thinking oh yeah 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 yeah. i'll definitely i'm definitely going to do that can we can we make this week the week that'd be amazing if you can just go over there patreon.com forward slash blarney pilgrims patreon.com forward slash blarney pilgrims that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n i keep saying that because lots of people are going like what what, what is that thing Patreon, um, and that's where you can do it. And you just click on the green button that says "Become a Patreon, you buy <laughs> Right. So, so Patty, let's get into the the thick of it. We've got some technical stuff up front. All right. So uh, you'll hear at the beginning of this conversation, we have this. Um, we just started chatting about the two different um, styles of accordion that are often played in Irish music. One being the BC accordion and the other being a C-sharp D accordion. And they're both um, similarly structured in that they have two rows of buttons for the right hand, and then they have uh, bass buttons for the left hand. But they, they, they have a different um, tone to them, I guess, and uh, tunes can kind of sound a bit different. They have a different sort of timbre to them. And in part, I think that's because in a BC accordion, you can do different kinds of ornamentation and different flourishes than you can do in a C-sharp D accordion. So that's what we're talking about with Paddy when we start. Just so for anybody who's not, hasn't seen a lot of Irish accordion playing. and um, Box, by the way, we use the word box. That's that's what we're talking about, a button box. I'm also just going to throw Dom under the bus just a little bit by making him commit to something. So hopefully most of you know the stage, Dom on the Patreon site, when, he, when we do a post, there are extra links that he puts in there and I'm hoping this week by the sense of it you've got some you've done some research well, <laughs> already so you might have some links I can't for us this many re- original research a lot of this comes from a guy called Graham Smith who you should check this out actually there's a piece by Graham Smith um, and I'll, I'll link to that and that's got loads of information particularly about Paddy and his brother Joe and their respective styles of playing and their influence in the Melbourne scene so that's worth checking out that'll be in the notes Brilliant. but for now let's get on with the music also joining us in this recording was Chris Fitzgerald, the publican from The Last Jar, no relation to Paddy, uh, but he very graciously sat in with us and played along, and you'll hear him chip in with a, a few choice comments here and there. So uh, with that, away we go. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. 
No Chris, slow go ahead. Could you tell me um, what kind of box you have? I've got a B and C box. It's a, it's a little French accordion. This one, mm -hmm. it's a saltarella. Right. And uh, early on in my life, I, I played a Paolo soprani. We always thought the Paolo soprani was the that's the Italian one. Aye. That that was the one to have. Yeah. But as life went along, bits and pieces of of health went on me and. Um, uh, and uh, I lost uh, some of my strength and I went back to Ireland in a short time after that and uh, I found out that people were playing this little accordion which was a French one and it was a lot lighter than the Paola Soprani and I found I had a lot more control over it but at the same time I felt that I was still getting as much out of it as I was getting from the Paola Soprani so I decided to get one of those in 1996 and I've stuck with it ever since and, and I've got a half a dozen different boxes, but I, I, stick, I stick with the little French one or the, the Saltarelli. It's a B and C tuning. Right. But, uh, and the, uh, B, the B and C means that you can basically play any key with a B and C, you right? Can. So it's you can. Actually, um, in, the old days, in the old days, probably, we'll say from 45, 50, 60, getting up to that stage, everybody played the ordinary C-sharp D box, which was very basic. When you grab hold of an accordion and, and you try and get a note or a few lines out of it, this is what sort of comes to you, a very handy way of playing it. You know, you get a, 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 a Dora ME for so out of it pretty simply. Then the woman that was here a couple of weeks ago, Eileen O'Brien was her name, her father went to America and he revolutionized the accordion completely. He, he, he brought in a new style where, where um, the B and C was the box to play. And, and as life went on, I found you can, you, you can play both boxes. You know, in Clare now we have the C sharp D is very popular, but the B and C is very popular too because of what Paddy O'Brien did. And all the good players now will say that Joe Burks, Finbar Dwyer, and Danny Mahoney and all those great accordion players now, they'd all play B and C. But then you have people like Andrew McNamara, who was just as good a player as any of them, and, uh, and uh, Tony McMahon, who was his uncle. And then the famous Joe Cooley, they all played the C-sharp D, which came very, very it sort of comes automatic to you rather than you having to to um, oh it's a different style altogether what happened really with us was we started off of course with the c sharp d the first little accordion we got was a um, was a little single row keep, keep and and um, it was a little single row accordion and and i'm not sure what key that was in but my mother taught us on that one and she got us going on that one uh, but then of course the next box we laid our hands on was a c-sharp d and that was a handy enough box to play on but then i played on a c-sharp d until probably uh when i came out here in in 1959 i played until about 1970 and joe my brother went back to ireland and when he came back he said you know he said we've got to rethink this this box we have to change our style to a B and C because Paddy O'Brien 
He was the hero at the time. Paddy O'Brien was the man and Eileen's father. And he was playing a B and C. So all of a sudden, I was buying myself a B and C. And then it was as if I had to start from scratch again. It was all a completely different setting. You'd understand, Chris, what I'm talking about, I'm sure you'd. It was a different setting, and it was as if you had to turn the box nearly upside down. <clears throat> so I had to start all over again, but we battled on with it, and that's what I'm playing now at the moment. And, and what was the difference that, like, what was Joe saying to you? Was it, was it about the fact that there was a change in fashion, or like, was it about things that you could do with this that you couldn't do previously? It was a sort of a change in fashion, but after changing in fashion, you still didn't leave the C-sharp D behind. Like, I still love to grab hold of the C-sharp D and play it, even it today. Feel, does it feel different to you? Oh, yes. How does it feel? Oh, it feels a lot different. It comes more automatic to you. The music comes more automatic, whereas I'd have to... I have to think about what I do with this. Not, not, so, not so much now, because I've been playing this now for the last... Oh, for 30 or 40 years, I suppose, you know, you sort of get the hang of it after that. If you're not getting the hang of it after that length of time, it's time to give it away. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's not you know, if you if have, it, well, do something with it sort of thing. Do they, do they, uh, do they scratch a, a different musical itch? So why would you pick up one rather than the other? Do they, do they serve a different purpose each? Well, no, Darren, it, 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 it's what you lay your hands on. You know, it's just what you lay your hands on. But then there are certain people who, who wouldn't play the B and C, but would only play the C sharp D. But then you have, you have the same thing happening the other way around as well. I was home now last year and I had my, this little accordion I had it tuned by a man by the name of Charlie Harris in Ardrahan in County Galway. And Charlie is as good an accordion player as there is in Ireland and he plays the C sharp D. And he's the lead accordion player with the Tully Cayley Band. A pure legend of a man. And, uh, and, but he plays the C-sharp D, and he plays absolutely beautiful music on it. And then when I, when I heard him playing, I thought to myself, why am I playing a B and C? <laughs> that sort of way, yeah. you know? And he said to me, actually, I was down there one day. I had a hell of a job to get him to tune this box. He was so busy, he was tuning boxes for everybody. And, was that, that was at the time that France was after winning the World Cup in soccer and, and they wanted Irish music in all the pubs in Paris when the French players came back. And of course, Charlie went over to, to France because everybody wanted him playing in their pub. But anyway, he tuned my box for me and he made a great, I think he made a great job of it anyway. But when I was there, I ran into a lot of accordion players that was dropping in and out to him. And another fellow was in, a fellow by the name of Charlie Piggott. He was from Cork and he was playing a C sharp D. And they said to me, you, you fellas down in Clare don't play a C sharp D at all, do you? You're all being seeming down there. But I, hang on lads, we will go at anything. <laughs> <laughs> we do whatever. <laughs> and anyway, huh? so, it, it, it's not so much, you know, you can play perfect music on both of them if you're good enough. Let's put it that way. And show me this one. The one we played first, will we? Okay. 
that little tune was called Tatter Jack Welsh. <coughs> the jig, a lovely jig. And uh, it was one of the tunes, I suppose, it was one of the first tunes I learned. Uh, what was the what was the first box that you that you played? Uh, it was a single row little melodeon, and it was one. It was one that my dad picked up from a builder or from a house he was building. Where the owner the owner had two little accordions, and he he he, he had he knew that that dad had a few children and and um, probably couldn't afford to buy. An instrument for any of us, but he gave he gave him one of them, and he brought it home one Saturday night on a bicycle. That was my dad's transport. There was no such thing as a ute or a van or anything in them times. But it got wet on the way home, and uh, in the morning when we got up, I remember I seen it sitting in front of the fire, and I could not believe my eyes when I seen we had an accordion in the house. But he said, "Don't touch it, lads." He said, "Because it's all wet." We're trying to air it out. We're trying to get the, trying to get the rain out of it. But anyway, I don't know. Was that a good idea or not? Because nowadays you wouldn't want to have it, your box too near the fire. But anyway, that was the little accordion we started off on. My mum, my mum probably started us off on a little slow air or maybe a march or something like that. I remember the first tune I learned anyway was an air by the name of Eileen Roon. Oh, a very yes. simple little air. And uh, if I can think of it, I might play it in a minute for you. And then maybe the wearing of the green might have been the second one. But my mum's brother, Stephen Mahan, who lived in Galway. I w I, I, actually, we were born in Galway, myself and Tom and, and Joe, the three eldest of us. Because my dad was working down Galway and he probably met my mum down there in the parish of Balnakil. And he moved into the house with her. They got married and, and, and there was three of us born there. And in 1947, we moved up to Clare when an old uncle of dad's had passed away in 1946. And there was nobody living in the house. And that's, that's our, our house at the moment. But there was nobody living in the house. So we moved into it. And indeed that was in bad repair, but, and he'd done a fair job on it too. But- um, And, and where, where was the house? The house, <coughs> the house in, in Clare. Aye. The house in Clare is in a little townland called Cornegano. Cornegano, Cahar Hurley, they're both together. They're two little townslands and they're in the parish. Well, I was explaining it to Chris a little bit earlier on. We're right on the border of the parish of Ogunalaw and Bodai Tom Granny. But we're actually in the parish of Ogunalaw. And there was always. You know, it is an awkward spot to be living. You're better off if you're living in the middle of the parish. <laughs> you can be either one way or the other. But I was going to school in, in, in the parish of Bordaig, Tom Granny, in Carhurley I was going to school, but living in Ogunalaw Parish. And we used to go to church then in Ogunalaw. And go to school, uh, but anyway. And, and, and where were you hearing music? Like, what, what were you hearing? <clears throat> Funny enough, in our little area, there was no... There was no real legend of music in our in our area. Everybody was just just tipping away at a little tune, but there was no well-known musician until you'd go over to Tulla, where the Tully Cayley band was. And of course, we had the the best Cayley band in in Ireland was in Tulla at the time. 
And then, of course, then you had Kilfenora was a bit over West Clare, and Lockdown Afer was in Milton Mulbe. And would you would you be exposed to any of that music <coughs> no, when you yeah. were growing up? They'd very often times come to to play in our little area, like in the parish hall. In the parish hall, uh, yeah. Uh, there were you'd you'd walk for miles to hear them. Either any any of the Kelly bands. Do you, do you remember <coughs> like when you were a youngster hearing them and, and thinking? Oh yeah. Well. Oh, I do indeed. Uh-huh. I never forget it, because when you're a young person like that, it's like, you know, you look up to the people who can do things pretty well. You know, if it's a good footballer, you look up to him, and if he's a good hurler, you look up to him. If he's a good musician, you'll you'll you look up to him. And but but there was a, over Tolly area for some reason or another. That's where Mary McNamara comes from now. Around that area, there seemed to be, and Fecal, you know, Martin Hayes. Martin Hayes's father was a huge influence on me. His name was Pacho Hayes. And a nicer man you could never, ever meet. And a great player. He doesn't get a lot of credit for the music he played. Was, they'd always talk about Paddy Kenny, or they'd talk about Vincent Griffin or the talk about Bobby Casey or maybe Martin Burns and, and uh, Sean Maguire and all them but but uh, P. Joe Hayes, Martin's dad was one of the people that gave me so much encouragement and I will never forget it for him he would he, he would sit down with me as quick as he would sit into the middle of the Tolly Kelly band, he led the Tolly Kelly band for about 40 years and uh, he kept a beautiful band going like all his lifetime and and if you chance to call into his house it didn't matter what he was doing out in the field the guy did come in and he had as much time for every oh, he was a beautiful fella and i had the pleasure of playing with him in a few places uh-huh. we played at weddings joe and i and himself played at a couple of weddings together that was the band P. Joe in the middle of the two of us and we were playing two accordions. <laughs> that was the band in the Queen's Hotel in Innes. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> and and <clears throat> what, what were you, what, you know, what were you learning from him? <clears throat> if that's, well, if do you, you know, do you know, uh, um, it was just that you thought so much of him that you were listening so hard to him that, um, you know, he had, he had patience too, you know, to... You know, he'd say, he'd say, lads, we'll play the tune you know. And we didn't have many tunes, John, I didn't, but, but he could play any tune, of course. But, but then he'd break into a tune and he'd bring us along and, and uh, he was a great fellow. Great, mm-hmm. great man. And then there was another man as well that gave me a lot of encouragement when we were young. And he was the doctor in Fecal. And he was Dr. Bill Lucknan. And he was one of the fiddle players in the Tolly Cayley band at the time as well. The fiddle players in the Tuller Band at the time was Pacho Hayes, Paddy Kenny, Dr. Bill Lucknan, and there was a fella from Crushean by the name of Jack Shocknessy. Four fiddle players in it. And, and like, when the four of them had started playing together, you didn't need anybody else. They were that good. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Um, and, and what was it like for you growing up, growing up there, like, in, in, in your house, <coughs> right? So how many, how many was in the family? There were seven in our family, Aye. seven of my mum and dad in the small little house. And uh, and as I said to Chris before, I think I was born lucky, really, you know. But um, we had a, 
great parents. The likes of them, they couldn't, you know, they never had anything in their pocket. There was no such thing as money. There was no such thing as uh, a car or, uh, you know. But everybody was helped by my mum and dad. Even people who might be passing by, there was always a dinner for them or there was always a, there was always a bed for them. And there was nine of us in the house. They were put lying down on a mattress on the floor. Uh, that sort of a thing. And then dad being a builder, he was so handy with his hands. He could turn his hand to about anything. Even, it didn't matter what it was. Even, even the electricity, which is something that, that nobody should touch except an electrician. But my God, dad was game enough to touch it anyway. He had no problems with it. Yeah. And he was the handyman in the area. And after he leaving Carnegie you know, and coming to Australia, I heard that he was the biggest loss to the area, you know. He was the handyman leaving the area. Yeah. But he, he was a great fellow and he helped everybody and built their houses and renovated them and and I'm not sure did he get any money for it. I'm not quite sure. If he did it was very, very little. He'd get a good dinner and a good good lunch in the middle of the day, but uh, he probably did get a few bob, but I never heard much about it. I knew I know anyway that he <clears throat> he built one house from foundation to from foundation to the top of the chimney and I, I, I can't tell you how much he got for it because uh, you know you, you wouldn't think it was true because it wasn't very much anyway but uh, they were for a neighbor the best neighbors that you could ever be so he built the house for them that was it you wouldn't get many people to do that sort of a thing nowadays it took him two years to build it and in the middle of it, he worked on it in the middle of the winter. And I know he got rheumatic fever out of it. And he finished up in hospital for about 10 months in 1950 or 51. He spent 10 months in hospital. I wish we were sure he was gone. But by God, he was a big, strong man. And, 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 uh, but I do think that it affected his health. I think it gave him a murmur in his heart. And, and it was a heart attack that killed him in 1986. He came out. Oh, yeah, the other part of the story was then that, of course, Tom and I left home in 1959. I didn't have a job at the time, and a friend of ours had come home from Australia. He was up in Wagga Wagga. He was a priest up in Wagga, in the Diocese of Wagga. <coughs> and uh, he came home and he asked me, Dad, to renovate his house, do a bit of plastering on it and build the piers out the front, and... And even we put running water into it. I came and gave Dad a bit of a hand at it because I didn't have a job. But he told us about this great country that he was living in out here in Australia and that there was a project on it at the moment called the Snowy Mountains Hydroelectrical Scheme. And every nationality, he said, was represented there. There was people from every country there. And I, I, I sort of picked my ears up and I thought to myself, I have no job here. And I wonder how would I go out there? So I made a few inquiries of him, or maybe he, he, he probably gave me a bit of encouragement as well, but the next thing, I had my passport ready, and when my brother heard that I was coming, he said, I'm coming with you. He had a job, he was working in, in the co-op store down in Scarif, and uh, he had a job, I didn't have a job. 
<coughs> but before we knew, we were on our way to Australia. And how was it for your mum and dad, sort of, like, because I know there was a lot of families went through that at the time, right? Having, having youngsters leaving. I yeah. Mean, it must have been hard for your mum and dad. It was right? very hard. It must have been very hard on them. But they seen that there was nothing, there wasn't a job for us there at the time. You know, you had to have something to, like you had to make some sort of a living for yourself. You know? Were a lot of your mates leaving at the time as well? Not many. Right. No, there, there yeah. wasn't. Thank you, Chris. No, not many. If they were leaving, they'd be going to England. Yeah. Very few to America, but mostly to England. Because the building trade was was good in England at the time and, 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 and everybody seemed to be getting a job there. <clears throat> but no, the next thing we were on our way to Australia. And I landed in Sydney and then with the next thing we were up the snowy mountains. Yeah, well, I think if we're going to start talking about Australia, <laughs> we might have a quick tune if that's all right, because I'm sure <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we're we'll already the tip of the iceberg. We'll play a tune, yeah. <clears throat> we'll play a little tune here. And this tune is called Father Kelly's Reel. And this Father Kelly, Father PJ Kelly was from Woodford in County Galway. And he composed a little book of music. And he was a great friend of my mum. We were born in Balnakil, but Father PJ Kelly was born in Woodford. And so my mum and my family became great friends of his. And he was a Columban father. And uh, the next thing he came, he was out in, was it in Fiji he was? He was in Pakistan and Fiji, and then he used to go backwards and forwards to Ireland. And the next thing he came to Australia. But he was great friends of my mum at home. And he found his way, he was in Perth, he was based in Perth. But he used to come over to Melbourne to see the family every now and again. And he composed this tune. And the name of this tune, we call it Father Kelly's Reel. But the actual name of it is, is it the Rossmore Jetty? You know, I'm not sure, is it the Loch Derg or the Rossmore Jetty? It's one of the two. Thank <laughs> you. 
before we do move on to your life in Australia, I just with the family, how many was in your family? How many how many um, kids were there? Did you say it was seven kids? <coughs> seven of us, yeah. And how many how many actually learned to play? I'd say about five. Right. Some of them have fallen away from it a little bit. Johnny Johnny and Joe and myself was probably the the main ones of it. Tom was the drummer. And then uh, Stevie is a good player. Right. Stevie, he doesn't play a lot. He's he, he's good in a sing-song type of. He, he, <laughs> if he has a beer or two, and, and and he's a great great sort of player. But my sister Anna can play as well if she wanted to, but she doesn't play anymore, sadly. But about five of us, I'd say. So then, as youngsters, what was that like learning <coughs> together? It was lovely. As I said, we only had the one little little box, and we'd have a race home from school in the evening. <laughs> and whoever would get their hands, whoever was the fastest runner, would be the first one to come in. That's what I was going to ask. There you. was no need at all of, of pushing people to learn. You know, nowadays people have to take their children to to teachers, and 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 and, and it can be expensive enough and a lot of time time consuming. In my time, there was no such thing as any worries like that. You fight each other nearly over the instrument. Was there any ever sense of rivalry? Not really. Yeah. We all taught each other. So more encouraging <coughs> each other on rather was, than trying There was to... no rivalry whatsoever, really. Yeah. And we all, you know, one of us would learn a little tune and, and we'd hear somebody playing a tune and you'd learn that. I remember I was at a house one night and, and there was this fellow there. He was playing the maid behind the bar. His name was Joe McNamara. He was one of the accordion players out of the Tully Kelly band. And he was playing the maid behind the bar. And as well as that, I learned that from him that night. And the other tune I learned from him was the Ash Plant. And I was sitting now, I was sitting, he was playing for a sit in a small kitchen. And, and, he's, and it was just like what Chris is here. I was sitting in here. He was playing into my ear. <laughs> so you're and sitting right? For the Ash Plant. Uh-huh. And, and, and that Ash Plant never left my head. I never will. It was great. And Joe McNamara taught me that tune. You, you, you talk about learning that tune, and uh, those two tunes, he taught me those in the night. I mean, was it that, was, was, did you have that gift that you could, you could pick up a tune <coughs> that quickly? I did. I did. I was keen. I was, I, was, I was keen, you know. If you're keen enough, it's like going to school, I suppose. You know, if you want to learn something, you learn it. But the music was something that went into my head and it stayed in there. I, I think it did, anyway. <laughs> It's not as good anymore. It's not as good. It's gone in here now and out this side. But, and the other thing I always liked to learn with, with the tune was I always wanted the name of it. You know, if you can learn the tune and get the name of it. But after saying that, I never, we never read music. We didn't read the music. You know, you, you, it was all by ear. Mm-hmm. No sheet music, nothing. Did you have a radio in the house? We did towards the end. Aye. But the only problem with, with our house was we didn't have any electricity. So our, ba- our, our, our um, radio had to be run off a wet battery and it had to be charged every three weeks or two or three weeks. <clears throat> and and to be only, the radio would only be played for the news if there was a bit of traditional music on the, on the radio, which was very, very, it was very scarce that time. They didn't play much Irish music on the radio. Even on, was it Athlone? No, no, they were very, very poor, really. We had the job of Johnny work by Kieran McMahona, and he gave it to us on Monday night for 15 minutes. And then we used to get the Scottish programme. 
that we that we loved it was on at 25 minutes to seven until seven o'clock from 25 to seven <laughs> to seven o'clock that was the time it was on Scottish, yeah. Scottish dance music Scottish, Scottish dance music yeah. and we loved that but you'd love any type of music as long as it was in our own vein I loved the Scottish music as well there was great Scottish bands Bobby McLeod and Jimmy Shand and Jimmy Blue and all them my dad used to my dad used to listen to Jimmy Shand every Saturday night he did uh, I and and um, <coughs> there was a show on Radio Scotland called Take the Floor which still goes on you know that show I know the one um, and you could always hear I, I, maybe I'm imagining this because I lived in Scotland for a long time but I sort of remember hearing these these uh, accordion bands on the radio and you could almost hear the sound of the hall that they were playing in. You knew you were, they were playing in some rainy hall up the west coast of Scotland <coughs> somewhere. You know, you could just picture it in your head, you know. You could, yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but, th- but a very different style oh, from, very different from the style. stuff that you're playing, right? But, 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 but Take the Floor was a great programme. We loved that one. Right. That was with Dinjo. Uh-huh. Dinjo used to run that. Right. I think Dinjo Crowley was his name. But all radio had to be saved for that and for the game of football or hurling on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, and you had to make sure, you know, the, the game of football went on for an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes or maybe a bit longer. And geez, you'd be watching to see maybe the battery might be getting a bit flat. <laughs> Coming near the end of the game, five <laughs> minutes to go, the next thing the battery goes flat. No power in the house. <laughs> No, no, not at all. The sound of a match is one of those things. It's it's like the smell of home cooked food, or or a sound of fiddles on the breeze. It's one of those things that just boom, you're back in a memory instantly. I, 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 I was just at home when the um, the hurling grand final was on. Yeah, I was just like stepping back in time. I hadn't even walked into the room, but just that that particular sound. I know it's a different commentators, but whoop, you're back. Oh, you I, are, yeah. I used to, uh, this is going off a bit, I used to listen to, uh, I used to love listening to Michal Amiraherty oh, as a commentator. He's an know. amazing describer of a game. Just he was. Amazing. It was like, and even the man before him was even better, Dominic. Who was that? Michal O'Hare. Michal O'Hare, yes. Michal O'Hare yeah, and then yeah. Michal Amiraherty came. No, no, and, and they've, they've got good ones even still, but by God, Michal O'Hare was something else. Uh-huh. I, I, I remember hearing him too. He used to do the horses a lot as well, didn't he? He did. He did, oh, he he did. did the racing. Yeah. Oh, he was a great commentator. Aye. But, you know, the neighbours would come in. It wasn't everybody that had a radio. You know, you know, half a dozen neighbours would come in on Sunday evening to hear the match. Mm-hmm. You know, and... and uh, that was that was the highlight of the week. And really. so, pr- uh, most of the uh, most of the playing would be happening right in in houses. Though. Is that right? Oh, Is all it? in houses, Aye. nowhere else. Aye. Oh, nowhere else. Aye. Until a little bit later on in in in, in life, we formed a little Kelly band in about 1956 in Bordeaux. We formed a little Kelly band in and and, and this uh, was you and Joe. You yourself and Joe and Tom. The three of us was in it. Mm-hmm. And we had a flute player in it. His name was John Tobin. And, and any time I did say to Chris, sometimes, you know, you learn a tune from somebody or somebody, uh, a little something, and, and uh, you never forget the person when you start playing the tune because you, you've learned it from him. John Tobin was his name. He was a flute player, a lovely, lovely fellow. He's gone to heaven. He's passed away. And we had a fiddle player by the name of John Noonan. He was from the town of Tom Granny. And then we had a fellow, Jay Boland was his name. He was another box player. And we had a man by the name of Martin Gooney who played the fiddle. And, and, and Peggy, Peggy Ryan, she is now, she was Peggy Brady then. She was our singer. And my God, we had a lot of fun with that band. That was great fun. 
And the people liked us too, you know. We weren't great indeed. We were only all learning. Everybody was learning. But the people supported us because they knew we were trying to do something for the little area. And, <clears throat> and Dr. Bill O'Connor now in Fakler I was talking about there, and the likes of Patio Hayes, they'd be giving you great encouragement, you know. They'd never say how great the Tolly Kelly band was. We knew how great they were in Kilfenora. They'd say, oh gee, your little band now are here, they're coming on great. They're always giving you encouragement, you know. Great old fellas. And, but... Yeah, that was that was the band, but it was all in the houses. Yeah, aye, aye. But there, there wasn't many people. There wasn't many people in our little area to 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 learn music, to learn tunes off, unless we went to hear the likes of Tulla or Kill. Oh, there would be the odd one, you know. And would you be would you be biking around from place? Biking to place? around, aye. On a bicycle, aye. Yeah, aye. You had the fella always that would be playing God music, you know. Dum diddle doodle diddle dum diddle 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 diddle. He the place was full of them. You learned your tunes off them. Aye. They were the best fellas of all. <laughs> he's sitting in the corner and he's and he jigging away like fair hell and, 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 and a half a dozen people dancing on the floor. Okay. That was the music. Wow. My uncle Tom, who was a brother of my dad's, and he was a big tall man. And you know, he was he, he loved to dance too, you know, but he was the musician. He'd sit in the chair and he'd go flat out. He'd Ah, oh, he was great. He was Could great. You, can you do that yourself? Like you like you I used to be able to do it. You know, we, we were talking a while ago, Chris and I was about my uncle down in Galway. Stephen Mahan was his name. And he used to play a tune. And we call it the Boys of the Lock now. But he used to call it Jerry Cross into France. And this is the Boys in the Lock. And it goes something like this. I think that's the boys in the lock, isn't it? I think I hope it is anyway. But my uncle Stephen used to call that Jerry Crosses to France. Right. So... And my other uncle Tom was the fellow that used to play the God, play the, do that sort of music, you know. God music, they called it. God music. God music, aye. yeah. Aye. And it was and 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 it was it was <laughs> so lovely. Them are the fellows you learn your tunes off. Yeah. Right. So do you uh, just before we before we do another tune, I wanted to ask you. So when you're coming towards the time when you're thinking that you're going to be leaving, right? to to move and you're and you're you're realizing that you know you're probably going to move and be away for a while i mean do you do you remember do you remember the night you left no jesus i remember it well uh, i'll never forget it it was the saddest night of my life i'd say i'd say one of the saddest nights of my life but i always had intentions coming back i wasn't going away forever i i, I give myself five years we had a little farm and I thought to myself, I'm going to go to Australia and earn a few dollars and I'm going to put a few sheep and a few cattle and a few little bit of livestock on this farm for my dad. Because I knew there wasn't any other way of doing it. And anyway, that's what I had in mind. I said, I'll go for five years to Australia and I'll come back. So I went round. The neighbours knew I was leaving two or three. Now they knew for two months before we left. You know, and... and they were trying to avoid me, you know. I knew they just didn't want to. No, they weren't trying to avoid me, but they were trying to. Everybody was lonesome to think that we were going. We were the young people of the area. 
and the rest of the people around the place were were older generation and they hated to see the young people leaving and but uh, we sort of had to go on. I remember the night before I left, I went round to each house just to say bye-bye and, and, and God, I, I'll never forget that night. There was a lot of sad people. You know, I wasn't the only one that was sad. I made everybody sad. We made, the two of us went around and, and you know, your friends who played in the band with you and they were playing hurling with you and you met them every day and we went to dances together and, and the next thing we were leaving them all behind and going to Australia to a place that nobody seemed to ever come back from. The few people that went that I knew before, we never heard of them again. They went to Australia. And when I came to Australia, didn't I pick them up? I found them. I made it my business to find them. I had to go to Queensland to find <coughs> one. One of them was down here in Geelong. Another one I didn't find. Anyway. But that was a sad, that was very sad. And we left in and uh, we came as far as Dublin and uh, got on the ship in, 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 on the boat there in, in uh, Dunleary. To Hollyhead. Dunleary to Hollyhead and the train from Hollyhead to London. And we stayed three nights there with my auntie, who was my mum's sister, in a little place called Stockwell. And then we went to Tilbury Dock on the three days later. And the next thing we were on the Orchideas sailing for Australia through the Suez Canal. And uh, ah, it, was, it, was sad, it was a sad time, but being young, you know, you took it... Uh, I, I know I was leaving the sadness behind. It was an adventure for me, Aye. Uh, for us. And anyway, we landed in, landed in Australia in Sydney, and then the next thing, we're up in the Snowy Mountains, and great job up there. Did you have anybody to come to in Sydney? No. Right. No, I had nobody. Right. <coughs> no, no, nobody that I knew of. And did you Did you have an instrument with you? Oh, I did, yeah. You did? So did oh, you yeah. have a few tunes on the way? Oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> I had an instrument with me. So how long, when you were in Sydney, did you stay there for a while before going to the About mountains? two or three weeks. Yeah. Down. I stayed about, about two or three weeks in Sydney, but I was working in a factory in Sydney, and, uh, and I wasn't a bit happy with being there because I knew there was a lot more money. I was only 18, and of course I told them what my age was, and then they only gave me a... A child's wage, you know? Yeah. So the people that were working with me was getting three times more money than me. And I said, oh, God, I've got to get old. My age is going to go up by three or four years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get old all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> next job, I was 21 on the next job. God, how did that happen? <laughs> were you, um, what, were, what were your first impressions of, of here, like of Australia? <clears throat> well, do you know, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't really, I didn't realize that we had a white generation at all here. A white, you know, white people at all. I thought there'd be the odd one or the odd few. I thought it would be mainly uh, Aboriginal people. But then I, I got a surprise at it then. And, and, and uh, I remember I couldn't understand the Aussie accent at all. I could, I could, I could get it. But when the races started on, on the radio, no way, no one could I understand what Bill Collins was talking about or Bert Bryant. The races, you know, it was just like a... He was talking in a foreign language. And we landed in Sydney just before the Melbourne Cup, and I remember, was it Gassam Gassam that won it? In 1959. Have I it wrong? I don't, I wouldn't uh, know, I'll have to look <laughs> it up. <laughs> I think it was Gassam Gassam, it was uh, some name like that. Anyway, they won it anyway. Aye. And I couldn't believe that just before the race started, 
they turned off everything in the shop, all the everything said, Quiet, everybody sit down. What's happening here? Oh, the race is on. What? Do they stop for the races in this country? The Melbourne Cup was on. Yeah. <laughs> Could not believe it. Everything had to stop. But uh-huh. fair play to them for their tradition, you know? Uh-huh. Well, should, should, we, should we have another tune and then we'll yeah, talk we a will. bit about kind we of will. We will. the Australian... <coughs> will we play Paddy on the Railroad, Chris? tunes we learned I suppose but I learned it on the on the C sharp D box which would be I would be playing it like this now to be in the key of C on this I didn't see there now because this is a B, B and C box. But if I was playing on a C sharp D, I'd be playing it in the key of D. See, that sounded like a completely different tune to me. Almost, this is my novice ears, but that is almost maritime. Yeah. More, much more so than the, the previous version. Yeah. And is that simply just because of the key change? Yeah, the key change, yeah. And is that all that's happening there? That's all. Right. That's all. And w- so, when you shift between those two keys, are, are you able to do different things with your yeah. with your fingering in terms of the ornamentation? Yeah, it is like playing two different instruments. Tony, exactly like. No, I don't play on that. Because that key. sounded beautiful. That's yeah, it is. So that's so the style now I started off with, and 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 the old the old C sharp D box I have at home. I just sit down sometimes with it and I just tip away like that, and it's 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 very very. 
It's very relaxing type of music, but you, you just you just moved your body there like you were just sitting down in a big comfortable chair. <laughs> that was really funny. That's really that's exactly. Tears. I'm sorry, no, I didn't bring in the be- uh, the, the, the the other little box. It belongs to Joe, actually. But um, so so then so then you, you, what what was the work like when you so you go up to the Snowy River and you're you're doing them you're working there in, in construction yeah. sides of things. I mean. When I went to the Snowy River, I remember it was on a Sunday we went up there. And anyway, there was very little jobs out on the, on, available at, at that particular time, but they were mad looking for people to work in the kitchen, in the mess room, they called it. And it was the Chinese that was running the catering up there. And when, the, when Tom and myself went up there, and actually it was, the, it was the priest that brought us up there, when we got up there, they said that they'd employ you straight away. It would be seven days a week. I said, we'd take anything, you know, to get started off, you know, and you get to know people. And that's where we started off there. And Tom stayed with them full time. I left them. Then I went out in construction. I went out driving machinery out on the spillways. And I actually finished up going into the tunnel. Of course, you get greedy as, 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 as uh, opportunities arise. You know, people offer you more money. You'll get more money if you go into the tunnel. There's danger in it. And yeah, I, oh jeez, I'm not worried about danger. No worries at all. The very, f- anyway, we were, I was outside on machinery for a while and then they said they'd give me about, uh, uh, well, not quite double the pay if I went into the tunnel. So I went into the tunnel. The first day I went into the tunnel, they took us in three miles into a hole in the ground. And it was scary enough now. Uh, when I got in there and when I seen what I had to do, I, I, I was actually... I was working on the machines in there too. Uh, actually, uh, they have a little a cable car that goes in and out to bring out the material once they're... Uh, in the, nowadays here, the way we're doing the tunnels here now, there's a machine doing everything now. It was all done by hand up there, where they had to uh, jackhammer it and, and, and uh, there had to be explosives and everything put into it. And then they had a little train that would take out all the rock and everything. But I was working just maintaining the little train, which was which was sim- it was, a, it was an easy enough job. I wasn't in danger really, but at the same time, you were underground and and you know things happened under the ground. And they went. I remember a couple of places where the where the, the tunnel went through. They went to underneath the river, you know. And of course, the river was coming straight in through the roof. You'd get drowned at which I'd have to have wet wear weather gear on in there, you know, until, until they concreted o- over. And, but, uh, but yeah, I was in there, but I got, I got a disease in my fingers then from the dirt in there, from the, uh, it was a dermatitis, I think they called it, and I had to leave it after, I only spent about six months in it, but it was long enough, I'd done all right, and then I, I was outside again on the, on the machinery outside again, then went and... And, and that was you and Tom? Yet, yeah. yeah, yeah, me and Tom, yeah. And and how long were you? How long were you at that before you before you were in a position to to move? Well, to Melbourne. So. No, but yeah, I, I was there for probably a, a year when when we have a GAA in Australia here, and at that stage it was just New South Wales and Victoria. Nowadays it is all of Australia and New Zealand is all in it now. It's Australasia now. But at that stage, it was just in Sydney and Melbourne, New South Wales and Victoria. Uh, th- th- there wasn't many hurlers in Sydney, and 
to, to make up a full team. So they contacted the Snowy Mountain and there was about five or six of us up there in different areas that could play Holland, that had played Holland. So they asked us to come down to Melbourne to make up a team to play against Victoria, which we didn't. It was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a great weekend down here. And that was the weekend I met my wife. I, uh, anyway, it was at a dance up here at St. George's in Carlton, not far from here, just up at the corner of Pelham Street and... Uh, is it right down that comes across there? One of them, anyway. But anyway, we was at the dance there that night. I played the Holland during, during the day, and she said she had seen me during the day, or, or had seen me the night before even at a dance that was down in South Melbourne. But anyway, I got introduced to her somewhere or another at the dance in St. George's, and we drifted apart then. I went back to the Snowy Mountains, and, and uh, we sort of kept in... I'd come down every now and again, and we'd meet at this Irish dance. They come down about every six months, you know, not very often, and backwards and forwards. So in the finish, anyway, big God, we were seeing a bit more of each other. So in the finish, that was the story of my life. Eileen Nash is her name, so I married her, and she's a great little old woman, you know. She's a great woman. Oh, she had nine children for me, and we have 25 grandchildren, and uh, and we've lived a great life, you know. She, she was great to take in seven or eight my mum and dad came in 1964. Did I tell you that? I did. Well, so I was going to ask you about that. So yeah. just to get the, the sort of timing right. So, you, oh, yeah, so, I know, so you're up yeah. in the Snowy River and then you meet your wife and you you moved down here kind of after a couple of years. Would that I be did. right? I moved down here after about three three years or three and a half. I was in the mountain. Right. So then and, you moved down to Melbourne. And yeah, you, I did. And, and I is that when you got married? I came down, I came down one time. And anyway, I found out that there wasn't, the money wasn't half as good here as it was in the mountain. And I thought to myself, oh, geez, I'll, I'll, I should go back to the mountain again because I wanted to buy a house and everything. And, and, and Eileen and myself had got engaged. And I thought, no, I should go back to the mountain. I went back up to Jindabyne. And, you know, I was half scared that I'd get a job. I, I, wanted to, I didn't want a job. <laughs> didn't want a job that would be too good. After getting up there, I was scared that I'd get a job. I said, but God, there was no job available anywhere, so I came back again. And, and, and that was, that's when it all happened. And then I got engaged, and then we got married, and we bought a house in Reservoir in Nine Hobbs Crescent. And we're still living there, thanks be to God. And in, in 1964, my mum and dad landed out with the rest of the family. The school closed down in Cahirholly. There was only five children going to the school. Me, two brothers and two sisters were four of them and one other young lad. School closed down. There was no transport for them to get to school. That time, I don't know why the council or the government or somebody couldn't supply some sort of little bit of transport for them. It was four or five miles they'd have to go to school and home again in the evening. And then my sister Mary was only six, you know, and she was only a little lady. And So they left there. They left there and went over to England to my mum's sister. And that was in Stockwell. And I uh, lived there and worked there for a year or two. And anyway, I didn't I get a letter from my dad? He never wrote to me in his life, but he wrote to me anyway to see what would I think, would I think of them coming to Australia. It frightened me because I sort of didn't know whether I was going to go back to live in Ireland or where I was going to settle down. But anyway, <clears throat> Eileen and I got married and I didn't answer the letter, so another letter, Mary, I came and I wrote back to him and I said, Dad, you have to make up your own mind. I explained to him about the country, I said, it is a great place, 
a great place for me, but if you would be happy here or the rest of the family, I didn't want to make the decision and bring seven of them here and then to say to me, look, what we don't like it here. But thanks be to God, the next thing he jumped on a boat over there and came to Australia and they came around by the Cape because the Suez Canal was blocked at the time. It took them about seven weeks to get here. Jeez, so it's a big, I mean, moving to London's one thing for, for uh, people of your parents' generation, right? We're probably around the same age as my dad, probably. Yep. You know, uh, like, uh, it's a huge That's voyage the into the unknown for them, too. Tis, I mean, it says something about, either about their sort of willingness to kind of, to go out into the world, but it also says something about how bad things must have been in, in Ireland. It wasn't a shocking. I think there was a bit of commotion about it. You know, it went through the Clare County Council anyway, and there was a lot to be said about it. Why a young family had to leave, you know, because they were the sort of the, well, it's the young people that sort of, the young people, you know, they're the next generation sort of thing. And, and why did a family have to leave? But anyway, I just heard a little bit about it later on in my life. But I thought it was very brave of my mum and dad, first of all, to leave home and go to England, and secondly, to move out here to Australia. And they were about 50 at the time. You know, they were about 50 years of age. And, and, and thanks to the God, they settled in so well. And, and, you know, they moved into the house with Eileen and myself. And it was a fair ask for them to move in with her and with me. It was no worries for me, but she had never met them before. And on the way, when they were on the boat, my eldest boy was born. Jimmy was born. So she had a baby to present to them as soon as they came. So they lived with us for a year and they bought a little house down the road in Spring Street. And they lived there for 40 years. And I buried my poor dad in 1986. And my mom died in 2003. And... Uh, um, how are you feeling? Do you want to... Keep going, or you? I do. We'll go. We'll go another bit, yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah, I don't think we will go past your influence in in Melbourne and and, and what you've done music-wise over the last thirty more years, probably in Melbourne, forty years in Melbourne. Oh, yeah. So, well, at what point did you start playing in Melbourne, and what was it? What, what was the journey from when you started kind of getting your first session <coughs> until yeah. then? Well, funny thing, that same weekend that I met my wife, I met Billy Morton that weekend. Can you Billy explain was, who he is? Billy was the man that used to run the session over on the Quiet Man. And he, he was, he's a legend, uh, uh, Billy was. And he'd done so much for the music. Like, he, 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 was, he was the foundation of all the Irish traditional music, I feel, in Melbourne. Well, he was one of the, one of the great, he was one of the great men for our music. There's no doubt about it. And he taught the younger people and he taught anybody who wanted to to play and he encouraged encouraged everybody and ran sessions and 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 uh, a great fella. But I met him the same weekend as I met Eileen. And I had my first tune with him in the Pastoral Hotel in St Kilda Road. Was it the Pastoral is the name of it? It was. That's where we were staying that weekend. The Pastoral? No, Jesus, maybe I might have it wrong. Anyway, it was in a hotel in St Kilda Road anyway. But Billy and I had, 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 and I was so tired after being to the dance that night. And then we sat down in the bed in, in my room and we played. And I remember I just fell back in the bed, <laughs> fell asleep. <laughs> and he played away. <laughs> Billy played away for a while. 
But anyway, anyway, then, then I think I started playing probably at the Celtic club then. And were you playing for were you playing for dancers or? I was, was playing for, for everybody. Oh, I, I, I I was I was yeah I played for everybody and and we started a little band. No, I don't know what year it was. We called it the Merry Moonshiners Kelly Band, and Eileen's sister was in it, and Eileen's brother, and plus three or four or more lads, and we we were about the only Kelly band that was in Melbourne at the time. The Merry Moonshiners was the name. We played. We kept going for five or six or seven years probably, and then Kialtis was the next part of it. With um, I, I, went f- I actually am a founder of Kialtis. I was at. The f- that's a long time ago. I think it's forty-five or fifty years ago. Now they're, they're coming up to their anniversary. So, and, so and where where was Eileen from? I never asked you where she was from. <coughs> She's from Fitzroy, North Fitzroy. Right. She lived right beside the Fitzroy football ground. It was the old, the old Lions football ground, and uh, and uh, Saint George's Road. They lived there, and uh, we got married in nineteen on on the. We got married on Australia Day, nineteen sixty-three. What was your wedding like? <laughs> By just it was a fair wedding. It <laughs> <laughs> was a fair. It was a Kelly. Dominic, it was a Kelly. Where Kelly? Because her brothers and her, her brothers and sisters, they could all play, uh-huh. and a couple of cousins as well. There was another first cousin. His name was Desi, Desi Whelan. Poor fellow, lost his life on a train or something later on. He was a great fiddle player. And they had a little band of their own. Then there was another fellow here by the name of Ambrose Devlin. He played an accordion. He was from he was from Donegal, from around Letterkenny or somewhere. And they had a little band there on the day, and we we had a great wedding. Aye. Should we should we have another tune and then? Um... <clears throat> what will we do, Chris? Something I know. <laughs> 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 What about the Donegal reel? earlier on that initially there wasn't a lot of people who were ready to play a tune but once you started leading you'd have plenty of followers and that's something that you really have continued to do to, to this day you've you've a band of people that would follow you anywhere because of because of your leadership when did that start <clears throat> well well I suppose about 
about 20 years ago when Chris asked me to play in the Corkman, mm -hmm. we had a lovely pub up the road here that we don't have anymore. It was called the Corkman Irish Pub. And Chris and Kieran O'Connell was in the pub and they asked me to play up there. And I'd say from there, that was probably the time, you know, people had come in and they'd session with you. Before that, I was in a band most of the time. You know, I was in different bands. I was in a half a dozen bands. And I, on all my own children, they all play as well. Like, I, I, I forgot to, to, to tell you that. Uh, we got them all taught music and, and, uh, and we have our own little family band even to this very day we, and we can sort of cater for for any audience what, what, what are you called well <laughs> i suppose we're the, the fitzgerald family band i that's suppose <laughs> i suppose they are just lots chris, of fitz, is chris here that's yes. his one of course he is yeah we're all fitz there's another right. one over here yeah yeah the, the, yeah the fitzgerald family band yeah we we have a lot of fun with it but but the the sessions was probably the ones where where you sort of lead the way. Chris, <laughs> Chris Fitzgerald here yes, wants to come in something. here. And yeah, just, good man, Chris. So at the uh, Rose of Tralee Ball a couple of years ago, so Paddy, uh, the Fitzgerald family band does that, but the boys used to be part of a cover band called Big Deal, wasn't it, Paddy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they are phenomenal musicians and, and playing all the contemporary sort of stuff. And then on stage left is Paddy, ripping into it with all the all the current popular music it is one of the sights to do. it's a it's a delightful sight it's just beautiful <laughs> and there is Bryony, my daughter and i were at the ball because Bryony's uh, a manager here and we went into the green room and there was there was it was so pleasing patty's there sitting with the boys they're all having a meal and, and, a, and a drink and the proudest man in Melbourne is sitting at the head of the table. It's, it's such a lovely experience. So it's not just the family band in that sense. It, it's just the whole embodiment of music and culture and family. It's just fabulous. So sorry to interrupt. Thank you, you, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Eileen sings a good song too. Like she, she was a great help to us in the early days when we were getting the band going. She was the lead singer in the band, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and uh, well, she wasn't. She, all the all the lads played, but she she'd sing the old Irish songs. Like the lads were up to date with the, you know, the Galway Girl and 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 and, and Ed Sheeran. Well, even before that, you know, but she'd be singing the homes of Donegal, you know, and 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 and, and um, the Green Glens of Antrim, and and those sort of you know, Tipperary so far away, and a mother's love is a blessing. But you know, since since her mother died, she wouldn't sing that song anymore. No, she sort of said, "No, I can't sing them sort of songs anymore." Like, Goodbye, Johnny Dear, and them sort. The songs that Johnny Patterson, Johnny Patterson was from Fakel in County Clare, and he composed all them great ballads. The lovely, "Goodbye, Johnny Dear," the mother's love was a blessing. And you so, know. when you were playing then as well. Um Joe was here too, right? Yeah. So, so I wanted to ask you a wee bit about just um, th the style that you have and the style that Joe has. Um, how would you describe the the style that you you know your respective styles? <clears throat> well, because Joe, so Joe, just for anybody listening who's not familiar, Joe's also a really well known musician um here and and back in ireland and just extremely highly thought of and 
Joe is really the best player of all the family. And, and um, Johnny was a great player too. But Joe was a, Joe is sort of the, the real figurehead of, of, the, of the family in the traditional music scene. And he's a B and C player. As I told you, he went home around 1970 and he came back playing a C sharp D and then he came back with the B and C box and said we had to play the C B and C box. I, I, I sort of stuck with the with the C sharp D for a while as because I, I didn't know any, anything else. But he was on the B and C and he could play it as well as anybody. And he's got a great he's, and he's got a great old style and he's got a great nerve as well. You know, he could sit up there in front of an audience and he wouldn't care who would be there. He can rattle out, he can rattle out a great tune where I, I would be all over the place. You know, he, he's a very brave musician and a, a very honest musician and a, and, a, and a great fella and a great brother. He's a magic brother, that fella. And him and I, we were in partnership in a little business one time. And we did all right in it. We did okay. And, 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 and he was one, he's a great fellow. Like all, all my brothers, but, and sisters. But, um, yeah, he's got a very, very strong and powerful style. Where I would be more, now, if somebody wanted to dance a set here, we'll say, dance the Caledonian set or the, or the Cashel set or whatever. I, I, that's sort of more suited to me. Joe would be a concert player, you know, where, where he, could, he could sit in and probably play for the All-Ireland Championships, you know, he's a very, very solid and very deliberate type of a player, where I, I wouldn't be like that at all, but I'd be more of a rough and ready player, where I could, I could rattle out a tune, you know, and I'd make fellas dance and women dance, right. that sort of a way. Mm -hmm. That's the difference in our style of music. But then when we come together, we can sort of match it together reasonably well too, you know, because we know each other's tunes. Ah, he's got a lot more tunes than what I've got. And he's got a great ear as well. He, he's, he's, great to, he's great to learn a tune. And, and where I'm as, I used to be good one time, but I've slowed down on it now. I'm not as good anymore. But um, when, when, you, when you are playing in a session um, and, and you have other players coming in right so you one of the, the interesting things to me was, at this session here the last year was just as as a fairly novice player coming in I, I was I was interested like you really set the tone for um, the the encouraging sort of feel of the place do you know what I mean yeah like um, for a player like yourself of, of the level that you are I mean I was gonna say do you never get impatient in a session you know just with you know you never know who's going to wash up <laughs> <laughs> no i'm thinking of myself yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just tell him he's all right <laughs> no but, but, but we we knock a lot of satisfaction out of, out of uh, new people coming in it doesn't matter who they are and you know or even if they can only play half a dozen notes it's lovely to have somebody coming in and and you encourage them as good as you can and just say, you know, because what's this Joe Cooley say? Isn't he doing as good as he can? He's all right. He's doing as good as he can. You know, I suppose everybody hasn't got the same ability to play. Certain people will win the All-Ireland. You know, he'll be the best player 
in Ireland or in Australia, and he'll, 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 but another mm-hmm. fella might be, you know, might would never get anywhere, but he'd be just as good to listen to him. You know what I mean? And and you've got to encourage everybody. I I love I love. I love encouraging people. Good on you for that. Teach, t- teaching them a little tune, even you know. To to feel welcome, even as a non-player, it's to, yeah, to, well, to, to, to you can see it click around the room. It's a fantastic thing you do. I go to the to the Lake School now. We have the Lake School. Felix Felix Mahar runs it. In Coroit. In Coroit, yeah. yeah. And I go up there and I, I I give them a week up there early in the year, and I get a lot of satisfaction out of that, even you know. Yeah. People come to you and they say, "Oh God, that was good. We learned a new tune or a couple of new tunes," and and you know, that is as good as as you know. What can equal that? It's, I love it. You know. Do you feel like you're you're passing on the the encouragement that you got when you were a youngster, you, like you were talking tis, about? It is exactly the same thing, don't it? It is exactly the same thing. I'm sure everybody thinks the same way, and everybody should think the same way. They should all try and no matter how what you're doing, you should try and teach and encourage somebody else, no matter who he is or she is. And 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 uh, you know, a person that can't play music and hasn't got any music ear, they think so much of you, even if you can only play do re mi. You know, mm-hmm. I go to the no- I do I I play a bit in nursing homes now, and uh, poor Johnny got rest him and myself. We used to enjoy. I used to enjoy having him because he'd play the guitar and he'd play a mandolin, and and uh, I'd, I'd tip away with him. And you know, you always get a, a poor old fellow or a lady, and you get them to sing a little song, and he'd tip away with the guitar, and and you get so much satisfaction. Oh, you know that the old people, you know, they think you, they think they're in in the concert hall. The poor old things, you know, and, and they're, they're so happy. It only lasts a half an hour. I usually bring in one of my grandkids. She does a little bit of step dancing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you bring her in towards the end of it and she just do a little step. Oh, God. And, you know, you get a lot of satisfaction out of out of all people in here. And, you know, even one of them one, in a nursing home one day, there was a... We went in and we'd done something there. And before I left, anyway, didn't one fella give me an accordion? Oh. He said, my mother died. He said, he said she played this. And it was made about 1890. It was a German. And she, it was a German accordion. Bring it in one night, you. You'll have to play it for me. It was made about 1890. It plays in German, doesn't it? <laughs> Before I finished, he gave me his, he gave me his mother's accordion. Gee, that's amazing. Yeah. So uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you, and you've been very kind to sit with us for so long, but I wanted to ask you just, you know, when you talk about yourself um, and and your family just picking up this instrument and passing it amongst you as a family, it's so different from, uh, and, and your awareness of the music is so different from uh, from today's youngsters, right? So... How has that changed? I mean, do, do you think that's kind of changed the music? How has it changed the music when it becomes something that uh, people go to university to study now? Whereas even when, even when I was growing up, which was only, you know, 40 years ago or whatever, like, you know, most people didn't do that, right? They did, it wasn't a subject of study. It was it was just a thing that people did because, you know, your uncle played or so-and-so played. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. I know exactly what you mean. Some people make a career out of it you know aye and but, but maybe they wouldn't enjoy it as much as somebody like me who just tips away 
at it, but, but fair play to them, if, if that's the road they go down, that's fine, I don't care what, I don't care what way people go about their music or play it or do it, and, and some people can't play without having the sheet of music in front of them. I can't even read the music. I can just, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll, but um, do you still do you still love it? Do you still get the same love out of it when you get up when you get up sit down with that box in your in your knee there? Maybe maybe more than ever now. Maybe more than ever now, because when you get to my stage in life, there's only a certain amount of things that you can do. You can't kick a football anymore. You can't play a game of hurling anymore. Squash, I used to love playing squash. I used to run cross country, everything in any sport at all I did. But I thought to myself, and a lot of people say to me even now, you know, people that I used to play football and hurling against, they say, God, you're very lucky. We've got nothing. You've got the music. And, uh, and you know, I, I am lucky that way. And I really enjoy it. And I love sitting down with with anybody to play a little tune with them and not to hear somebody singing a song or, or telling a story or anything you know yeah yeah I Hi. do I love my music as much as ever I'd say more Dominic and this fella is the cause of it all I might we be playing a drum on this fella he just just knocked the Chris Fitzgerald there I was, I was there going to the retire when the cork man finished up there you know we lost the cork man and I said oh that'll do me now the next thing I knew, I was sitting, sitting in the middle of the floor down there. Who was the cause of it? <laughs> no, Thank no, you, Chris. Chris Fitzgerald. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> I enjoy it. Chris looks yeah. after me good in here and, well, and Angelica. And, and that's why we love coming in here. To the, I don't play in any other pubs, to be quite honest. So, well, um, thank you for, uh, I mean, this is... This sounds ridiculous because I've only been here for a year and a half. But I was going to say thank you for everything you've done for for players like over the years here. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing. And yeah. thanks so much for sitting down and talking oh, to us. Thank you, Donnie. It's just, and, uh, it's and, my um, pleasure. And it's I'm my saying pleasure. thank you, but I'm actually just going to ask you to do another tune. <laughs> yeah, really, really. <laughs> Is it yeah, Chris, you lead this one. And Chris. Uh, oh, just lovely. beautiful. Thank you so much. Lovely. Thank you, boys and girls.
couldn't resist playing the tin whistle. I was sitting listening to that tune, which is the Blarney Pilgrims, to, funnily enough, and I, I sat through one and a half times round, and I was like, ah, I want to play, I want to play, can I play? <laughs> and I just thought, I'm going to play. So I played the last bit. Great. Yeah. What I particularly loved about that session too is, so I've been on this journey making the podcast and and going after the music to try and understand it more. But going back about nine years ago, I've been always interested, and this is kind of some proof, when my boys were still very young, so we about oh, three months old, myself and Brooke, my wife, we used to take the kids on a Sunday evening to a pub called The Quiet Man, which was in like like Flemington or right. Kensington, around that area in Melbourne. Yeah. There was a pub there and used to be a great session in there and that used to be Paddy that ran that session. Paddy and Joe used to be there. And there was a whole cast of people who now I'm actually getting to meet all these years later. But we always knew that Paddy was the the leader in there and we'd sit there and at the, at the time, because the kids were so young, we used to get a lot of things sent over from Ireland. So we'd get like rugby jerseys or, or guard jerseys. Uh, and it was the only time the kids really ever dressed identical the twins so they'd be sitting there in a little green tops and <laughs> or their Aaron jumpers with the legs so swinging under the table but it was so nice to be able to sit down with Paddy and by coincidence I had my kids with me the night we did this interview so he, the kids got to meet Paddy that night and then we had, we had dinner with them later on and the boys sat there and they were having chats just holding court like they would with anyone and it was so nice to think that they've actually been watching this guy play for 10 years already and to actually for us to be able to sit down and to get some of these stories from them it was just it, it was really touching I, that I, I is love fantastic yeah. that is so great it means a lot so thank you so much for your time buddy thank you Paddy thanks very much again to Chris Fitzgerald and thank you for listening good luck hi my name is Pixel please become a good subscriber to the podcast thank you